Welcome to this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On today's episode, we talk with Jim Kreider. Jim is the owner of Intentional Living Financial Planning. Jim explains his unique approach to financial planning and his integration of Bitcoin into his clients' portfolios. Jim is unique among financial planners in that he believes in the fundamental asymmetric opportunity Bitcoin offers his clients. Jim shares what his personal allocation is, and we discuss not only Bitcoin allocation, but allocation to Bitcoin-related companies. This was a fantastic discussion. I hope you enjoy it. And now a word about our sponsors. Jeter Melder LLP is more than a law firm. It is a legal team. Justin and Michael have over 30 years of experience working with different clients on different legal issues from both sides of the docket, including business disputes, constitutional rights, employment agreements, employment discrimination, local counsel, and pay issues. Jeter Melder have advocated in federal and state courts in Arkansas, California, Illinois, New Mexico, and Texas. With a unique blend of clients from doctors, fellow attorneys, tradesmen, hourly workers, the unemployed, to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, they all have one thing in common. They believe in Jeter Melder, and Jeter Melder believes in them. Give them a call at 214-699-4758 or visit them at JeterMelder.com. That's J-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-D-E-R.com. Have Jeter Melder work for you. Hey Jim, thanks thanks for joining us today. I'm I'm pretty uh, stoked about uh, talking to you. And as we were talking a little bit before that we started uh, recording, it, uh, pretty fascinating what you do. Um, I have no exposure to financial planners, and um, you know, kind of being on Bitcoin Twitter, it seems like financial uh, planners are uh, shunned upon. But the fact that you recommend Bitcoin to your clients, uh, and we'll get into that here in a bit, is is fascinating. So. Jim, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, uh, a little bit of a backstory about your Bitcoin journey. Not too long, just enough to introduce people to that. And then um, also introduce your financial planning background, your your pedigree or your history there as well. Certainly. Well, first off, I, I, I appreciate you having me and I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, you're right. It seems financial planners, and I would say probably, probably for good reason, seem to have a target on our back on Bitcoin Twitter. Um, and I, I hope to dispel uh, any any possible myths there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, for me, I guess we'll start off on the personal. Um, again, my name's Jim. I am a uh, business owner. I'm a, a husband. I've been married for, for about a decade. I have three kids, uh, uh, three boys that are three, one, and seven months. So that consumes uh, a lot of my time. Um, I am I am a Christian. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a financial planner. So on that side of things, um, I, I'm what's called a certified financial planner or a CFP. That basically just means I've spent more time than most people would ever want to spend on personal financial planning and learning in that area. Um, I uh, own a financial planning firm uh, called Intentional Living FP. And ultimately, my job is to help my clients live the life that they want to live. Understanding their money is just simply a resource and a tool to do that. Uh, we work specifically with young families who want early financial independence. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. Is how, how do you how do we align your your money your your however it's stored with what's important to you guys? And Jim, what um, uh, why why do you think that we need financial planners? Do you think that there's a lack of education? Um, is uh, planning for the future complex? Is investing complex? I mean. In your years of doing this, what 
why do we need people like you? And, th- and that's with respect. So um, just try to, exp- I- I'm trying to understand the the deficiency in our culture or learning that, um, that we need professionals, you know, to do, to invest for us. Yeah. So well, one, there's, I would say there's three things that you should look for if managing your own personal financial situation makes sense. Um, those are your, your will, your skill, and your time. If you have the desire, the skills, and the time to do all of this, then you should do it on your own, probably. Um, if you're missing one of those three, I would debate that maybe you should outsource it. So for instance, changing your oil, I could change my own oil. It's a very simple task and it doesn't take that long. But frankly, I just I don't have the desire to go lay on my driveway in 100 degree heat on a Saturday morning when I could play, be playing with my kids. So those are the, those are the three things. Now, really, where's the deficiency? Um, so there's, there's the technical competencies. And my job is to live where your life and money intersect. Now, a lot of people assume that the primary role of a financial planner is for investment management. But frankly, that is the simplest and most, uh, yeah, it's the most commoditized part of my job. Mm. There's so much more that we're doing. Um, And uh, my favorite part of that is being a sounding board to help individuals and families actually uncover what's important to them and then start to align their actions, their behaviors, their long-term planning with what is truly important to them in life. So it's kind of like it would be kind of like a, a money psychologist. You're sitting down, listening to what people want or desire with their life and their money, and you're honing that uh, those desires. I guess is kind of a simple way to think about it. Exactly. I uh, I don't have a couch for clients to lay back on, but that is that is a huge part of my job. I would say throwing a number out here, but eighty percent of my work is initially just helping people truly understand what's important to them in life. And I'm not talking even about goals. A lot of people and my, my clients in general, average, average want to be able to not have to work by their time they're in their mid forties. So we could take a goal and say that this is important to me, which a lot of people do have goals, which is, which is fine. But I found over the years of doing this and talking with people who are massively financially successful, don't understand why they actually have the goals they have and why they've been implementing the actions they've taken so that we peel that back further. Why are you actually saying you want the things that you want? And is that truly serving the cause, the values, the why, the desires that you have in your life? So you could say like, oh, I I want to be able to retire early. And if we stop there and we miss the fact that you want early financial freedom so you can spend more time with your kids, but we simply stop at early, early retirement, I would say, perfect. Well, gosh, go work. 70 hours a week and save all of your money. Don't spend a dime. But if I actually understand that, gosh, you want financial independence so you can be there to love on your kids before they have families of their own. Well, I'm going to interject and say, don't work so much. Be at home. Read Mm. to your kids at night. Um, Yeah. Obviously, we want to be smart about our future finances, but like carve money aside to go and make and curate memories and moments for your family now while they're there. Um, And then (laughs) that's that's so basic. But then Beyond that, it's the alignment from uh, investments and estate and tax and all the competencies that go into financial planning and your, your life, just cash flow, all these things and making sure each of those actually align with you being able to spend more time with your family today and tomorrow. Well, so how do people find their way to you? I mean, are you finding them? Are they finding you? And, you know, if, 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 
putting CFP next to your name is a commodity product, but you're offering something that's unique to you. Uh, you've got to have a something that you're selling, so to speak, that people think is unique that they want to come to you. So uh, explain that process of, of who your customers and how they find you. Yeah. So I, I purposely built my business to not be a generalist. Uh, in, my, in my previous firms I worked with, we serve people from 20s till 90s, ranging from just getting started to net worths of tens of millions of dollars. And I, I, that became frustrating because I would go from having a conversation with a family in their late 20s and talking about, about uh, setting up uh, their just beginning generational wealth and then accomplishing the things that are important while their kids are in the house and setting up their future. And then I would switch gears and go to a meeting with a family that's uh, at the very end stages. And we're just looking at tax efficient retirement planning and social security optimization. And that was too, too difficult to do. And it, it wasn't enjoyable. So I, I purposely built my firm to work particularly with a set of clients. Um, again, that's young families who desire early financial independence. So just simply carving out a niche and saying, this is what I do. And uh, I believe that I can genuinely say that I believe that for these particular types of clients, I can serve you in a way that no other financial planner can because I work specifically with you. I've had thousands of these conversations and I live it myself with my family. Um, that Just having that, that, that niche carved out allows for better alignment and uh, an audience to be drawn in rather than saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a financial planner. Um, the, most people don't even know what that means. And so how do you find your customers or are they finding you? Uh, I'm a really bad salesman and uh, trying to become better at marketing. Um, a lot of clients have come to me through referrals. I, I genuinely love my clients and I want to do what's best for them in their life. And I believe that generally shines, that shines through in our relationship. And they're more than happy if, if they know someone who's in a similar situation, you know, send them my way. That, that, that's great. Um, I've, I've received a few clients from, from Twitter um, I'm, I'm pretty active on podcasts. Uh, the ironic thing is, uh, on all the podcasts I've done thus far, I haven't, I haven't, uh, got a client from a listener of a podcast yet. Uh, the show host on multiple podcasts has become clients. So uh, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about your, uh, I want to back up a little bit, uh, kind of weave in your Bitcoin history and your financial planning history. You mentioned you'd worked at Fidelity a little bit. So kind of weave those two together as to where you are right now. Mm -hmm. So I stumbled on Bitcoin, uh, well, initially in 2012, but it had, it had, to me, it had no credit. The guy who told me about it was, uh, I don't think I ever saw him sober. So it didn't carry much weight. Um, and then I've, I've been a listener of the Investors Podcast with Preston and Stig for, I guess, probably since the beginning. And uh, just hearing them year after year just uh, be so competent in these areas of, of investing, um, when they brought up Bitcoin, it didn't have that bias of, of total speculation and hype, but rather there must there's, there's got to be some merit here if they're willing to talk about it. So that, that was what allowed me to at least have some trust and uh, create the desire to look into it for myself. So that was, you know, probably 2018 is when I started looking into it initially. And then 2019 really started falling down the rabbit hole. And then uh, 2020 went in, went all in. Um, I've, I've certainly implemented that in my firm. I, at a previous firm I was at, and my, my financial planning career. So I started, I worked at Fidelity um, in, a, in a variety of roles. Um, I, I spent a good amount of my time there working specifically with physicians on tax efficient re and retirement planning. 
Um, I left there and then I went to a small independent firm, uh, again, focusing primarily on retirement planning. Um, I talked with them for, for 2020, uh, trying to get them to at least talk about Bitcoin with our clients. And they thought I was nuts. Mm. And that was, that was pretty painful because at that point I moved uh, uh, very significant, actually, uh, our, the, the, the bulk of our net worth outside of a small emergency fund and the, uh, the equity in our home went into Bitcoin and Bitcoin related companies. And I, I didn't, I didn't feel good about not aligning my clients with how I was invested. Um, I actually separated from that firm at the very beginning of this year. And uh, since then, I, I've, I've got full reign on how I want to manage my clients. And so all of my clients now have at least 5% up to about 20% of their um, portfolio allocated to Bitcoin or, or related companies. Well, so talk about that discussion with your clients. I mean, when you when you first when they first meet with you, um, how do you discuss Bitcoin, and then the the asset allocation? Uh, how do you arrive at a number? And I, I know everybody's different, but I just want to hear your your rationale as you're explaining it to your to your um, to your clients. And I, I kind of want to know your thoughts on the traditional 60-40 split that, you know, we've all been trained to, to kind of participate in. So kind of talk us through that, that whole process. <clears throat> well, how that initially comes up is, well, first, we, we spend, <clears throat> we don't talk about investments for the, the majority of our conversation. It's really about understanding what's important to you in life, uncovering your values, understanding the goals that are associated with that. And then finally, once we've done that fully and you're fully known and what's important to you, then we can assign the tool. You know, you'd feel, you'd feel probably pretty uncomfortable if you went to the doctor, they asked you two questions and then prescribed a pres- gave you a prescription. You want to make sure you're adequately diagnosed. So I do that with my clients. I want to I know fully what's important to you in life. So when we actually talk about the tools to help you achieve that. We're doing it in a way that is, that is known. So uh, finally, once we get to the investment side of things, um, I would say... There's this odd dichotomy because I am a I'm a financial planner. I as a certified financial planner, I genuinely have to try to do it to my client's best interest. Um, most people I talk with aren't Bitcoin maximalists. I do have a client that knows far more about Bitcoin than I do. He actually owns a nonprofit specifically for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, most of my clients we 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 start talking about asset allocation. We talk about asset location for tax efficiencies. Once we've uncovered that, we talk about you know the, the normal stock to bond mix. And there is a um, caveat there and say, well, okay, how much risk total do you want in these types of assets? And once we've uncovered that, then I tell, let them know, hey, beyond this, that that's normal financial advisor talk. I do believe an important part of a portfolio is actually having exposure to this other thing as well, that being Bitcoin. So then I, a lot of my clients either haven't heard of Bitcoin or only are, are familiar, familiar with it about you know FUD they've heard. So uh, we just talked through why I believe it's important um, and the role that that can and I believe should play in their portfolio. And then we decide inside of their total portfolio. So if we're looking at the boring plain vanilla stuff that I, I like, frankly, the stocks and bonds, all right, we've, we've identified that and that's normal advisor. Let's switch gears to, to Bitcoin. How much of your total portfolio do you want to have in this thing that is uh, much more volatile, but in my opinion, has asymmetric Opportunity, and I let them know that asymmetric does not mean guaranteed, mm-hmm. but rather the implications of having exposure versus not. And once we've decided upon all of those factors, then we look at perfect. 
how much of your total portfolio do, would you like in this asset class? And what's the best place to hold that? Do you, do you put it inside of a Roth IRA? Is that going to be through Bitcoin mining companies? Is that directly holding Bitcoin in your own wallet? If they decide that's the route, we talk about what types of wallets to use, all these things. So that's, that's, that's the conversation in a nutshell. And so the, what, when you're trying to explain Bitcoin, I'm sure everybody's different, but uh, do you find the concept of Bitcoin difficult to explain to no one who's had never had been exposed to it. It's time to play Who Wants to Be a Satoshi Millionaire? Which performer was the first to start accepting Bitcoin for their records? A. 50 Cent B. Childish Gambino C. Jamie Foxx D. DJ Khalid Oddly enough, no. Um, I, I think it goes back to I've built enough trust through those initial conversations that the client feels fully and adequately known. So when I prescribe something, they're not, you know, if you go to the doctor and yeah. you feel like you're adequately diagnosed, you're not going they're not gonna give you the prescription and you're not gonna just sit there and read it as you're driving to the pharmacist. Say, hey, yeah. they know what I need, I'm gonna take it. So when I prescribe something to my client and we reviewed it together, say perfect, I trust you because you know what's important to me. So yeah, and that's the really cool thing is um, when we had the dip here a few months back, um, not a single client reached out, said, Hey, I'm worried. What's going on? You know, should we sell? That didn't happen with one person. And that really, uh, that's to me, that's a huge pat on the back for letting them know the, obviously the risk, but also, uh, the reason we've put this in a portfolio. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, just as a physician, um, you know, I know that if I've not gained somebody's trust, they're not going to do what I tell them to do. And certainly if I recommend surgery, they're not, (laughs) they're not going to want to do have surgery with me. So that that's a great, great analogy. Um, What the um, as far as licensing, like if, if we've got listeners that are listening in, you know, Wyoming or New York, I mean, do you, are there any specific licensing requirements that you can't advise them or could you advise anybody via telecon as to help them manage their, their uh, money? Yeah. I, I work with clients across, across the U S I actually have two clients that are currently army stationed in Germany that are, I guess, Texas citizens. So yeah, I've, can work with anyone uh, in the U.S. So that's fantastic. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there um, and just let everybody know that you're available um, if if they if they need to talk with you or or need your assistance. Uh, I, I'm I'm very curious about your thoughts of Dave Ramsey. He's you know I'm I'm a little older than you, um, and that may be another reason why your clients don't object to Bitcoin because most of them, um, given your your demographic, are probably digitally native. But you know, Dave Ramsey's been around for a long time, um, and uh, he seems to be Bitcoin averse for whatever reason. And as we were talking before we started recording, I find it hard to buy into the fiat monetary system at this point, just from a moral perspective on a, on a moral basis. And I find it curious that Dave Ramsey would, would be averse to recommending Bitcoin uh, to kind of explain what, what you think is going on there and um, just your, your feelings about his investment advice. And he's, he's done wonderful things. We both agree he's done wonderful things, but seems to be lacking in this one area. Yeah. Well, I think that can be a credit to a few things. When you've, when you've been entrenched in 
a specific mindset and that mindset has served you well for decades on end, then uh, it's going to be hard to become flexible and be open to new things. So if you're, if you're looking at, I know he's a big, just total stock market index kind of guy, small, mid, large cap, international stocks, and that, that's it. And that served him well for, for a long time. So um, it's hard to change a mindset there. And then also, uh, I, would, I would assume his exposure and experience with Bitcoin is, is if not fully, primarily made up of, of the FUD um, that, that is out there and so prevalent. So I, I, do, I do believe that he has, he has done great things for hundreds of thousands of people um, in a general manner. And I certainly hope that he becomes aware of what Bitcoin actually is and the opportunity that it actually plays in the financial system as a whole, um, just because that, that would have such a great reach. Well, what do you think about, you know, he's big on paying down all your debt, which is, you know, that's a, that's a great, great principle. Uh, and, you know, you were sharing this story about one of your clients that recently did this with their home. And, you know, I think that I, that question, along with balancing what Michael Saylor is doing with a speculative attack and taking out debt to buy Bitcoin. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, on that, um, that seesaw of, you know, debt and risk management versus, you know, purchasing Bitcoin and using debt to buy Bitcoin, whether you're keeping. Yeah. Okay. So there's, so there's two parts to this one. I'm I'm a financial planner. So uh, most answers go with, it depends. So I apologize for that. Um, There is the uh, first off, there's the technical side of things. So what's the, what's the risk? uh, What's the interest rates? Um, what's the opportunity, opportunity cost, those sort of things. But there's also the behavioral and like what's important to you in life. So if you're telling me that, gosh, we would love. So I, I have a client that's a, it's, he, they are certainly Bitcoin maxis. Um, they, they recently sold a house and plan on purchase. They're, they're renting right now and they're growing their family. They're renting an apartment and they want to purchase a house in the next few years. So we were talking about how do you plan and allocate for a house purchase um, in three years? Um, as a Bitcoin maximalist. And there's this, there's this odd balance. The husband, who is the one who's really fallen down the, the rabbit hole, was, gosh, I want to take all the dollars that we, we, the proceed we made from our old house purchase, put it all in Bitcoin. And then in four years, we can pay cash for our house if it does what I think it will. And then I, I, I wanted to know, like, well, where do you feel? How, how does this fit in for you and the, to the wife? And uh, her thought was, yeah, I guess that sounds great. I said, well, Part of my job is helping understand possible implications and trade-offs and say, hey, well, I, I love Bitcoin too, but we don't know what's going to do. How would that impact your ability to buy a house and make room for a growing family? Let's say Bitcoin gets cut in half, which is pretty normal. And then you have to extend your time, your extend your stay in a in an apartment as you'll keep having more kids. Say, like, oh gosh, well, that that would be devastating. Okay, well, how do we how do we design your portfolio? So you have this upside potential, but you're not completely risking your house on the possibility that Bitcoin doesn't grow at the rate um, that we expect it to, or you think it will. So it's it's this odd, it's interesting conversation, and it's marrying the families. I mean, gosh, that's a that's a tough conversation. If you have a if you have a maximalist and then someone who likes it but also wants security, um, how do you manage that conversation? Especially if you don't have a third party intermediary. There's a reason that money is the number one cause of divorce in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, gosh, it speaks so highly to what's important to you. And ultimately, what it came down to is, yes, there's risk and reward and interest rates and debt and all those things. But 
when it when it all is said and done, their money, be it in Bitcoin, fiat, uh, normal, plain vanilla portfolio, is there to serve the what's important in their life. And what's important to them is having a home to raise their their growing family. So how do we design this in a way that that really keeps that in mind? Um, and being able to facilitate that conversation, have a healthy dialogue along those is that's that's a huge part of what I do, and it's that that is such an honor. I love I love that part of my job. That's awesome. And and so basically, it sounds like if you're a young single person, guy or girl, who is a Bitcoin maximalist, I mean, there's really probably not a lot of planning that's going on there, and and they can do that as long as they don't meet conflict with you know a future partner or something like that. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is for a, a person who's a maximalist with no other concerns, uh, there's, they don't really need to, to plan. I mean, would your services be needed for someone like that? Or, or do you think that they're, they're probably missing something or they have a blind side that they need to be evaluating? Yeah. I mean, a financial planner is not for everyone by any means. And I don't want it to sound like that. Um, I only want to work with people who I gen- genuinely believe I can bring significant value to their lives. Now, I, my wife and I, we're, we're maximalists. This is not investment advice. I'm not telling everyone mm-hmm. to go do this. But last, last spring, we had $100,000 of investable assets. Um, we carved off an emergency fund, which was above and beyond that $100,000. Um, and we put all 100000 into Bitcoin. And then some of this was in Roth IRAs and IRAs and 401ks. And we carved that off and put in related companies. So and mining stocks and Grayscale, those sort of things. Um, that's where we are. Um, but that's in full view of our, uh, our total financial situation. And gosh, um, being a maximalist and despite having a pretty simple investment allocation, I can't imagine navigating the financial decisions that she and I have made over the last year without the understanding of, of what I know and being able to, again, having those, those healthy conversations around why are we doing what's in, what we're doing in our life and actually aligning our life with what's important to us individually and as a, as a couple and a family. And then the other things. So I, I've somehow managed to squeeze in into the, the few years of our life we've squeezed in <laughs> most of the decisions a young family is going to make over like a, a decade or two. Um, gosh, we we bought our first house. We were both working corporate jobs. My wife, we had we had our first kid, then we had our second kid, and she wanted to figure out if if it's possible to uh, to not have to go to work and stay home with our kids. And I left a corporate job and went to a smaller business. Then I left that business and started my own thing. And how do you how do you decide upon business entity structure? And how do you account for cash flow when you're not taking the income? As you start a business for for twelve to eighteen months, where are we going to get that? Um, how do we pay? For, how do we get health insurance or healthcare during that period of time? Um, we had our third kid two weeks after I separated from my old job and started my own company. Um, he had so many things like we have three kids. What are we going to do for for their current school? What about college? Um, what would it be like for us to not have to work till we're sixty? And would it be possible to to have? Uh, a house in Telluride or Jackson Hole one day. That's ultimately my job is to figure out what's important to you. What do you want to accomplish in life? And what are the things you, you don't want to have happen? What do you want to avoid? And what, how can we most efficiently and effectively align your entire financial life, not just your investments, but everything about everywhere that life and money touch in your life? How do we actually align that with what you want to accomplish? What's important to you? And yeah, part of that is if you're a Bitcoin maxi, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty simple. 
But I, I, I would assume that you have more things in your life going on than your investments. You're making other decisions that are life related. Jim, what in as far as your faith is concerned, um, do how do you weave that into your practice uh, in discussing with your clients? I'm as a physician, it was easy for me. I mean, if I wanted to pray with the patient, I I was behind closed door and I could pray. I mean, does the, how does faith? Uh, weave into your practice and, or how, how would you like to see that more uh, represented in your practice? Yeah. Um, it's again, I have this honor of being invited into an intimate place in my clients' lives. Mm -hmm. They disclose to me things that they've won. Usually it's stuff they've never shared with each other as spouses and definitely things they haven't shared with other people, like what they truly aspire to be, who they want to be, what they want to be known for. Um, where they are, the concerns and the fears they have. So I have that, that privilege of being invited to that place. And then they give me the keys and say, please speak into this. Hmm. Um, and again, yeah, there's a technical side of things, but there's also like, Hey, you said that you, you said that you're concerned if something happened to you, that you would not, if, if you died today in a car wreck, you didn't, you weren't able to leave the legacy to your kids that you hope to. How, what can we do today? Now, now you're talking about money. What can we do today that's going to provide that legacy? So I have the ability to speak into that. Um, my clients, obviously, there's so many rules around red tape in the, in the industry about gifts and junk. But yeah, if, if I have an opportunity and someone's trying to figure out, like, I don't know what I want in life. I don't, I've, I've been so caught up in the corporate life or military or whatever that I've never actually got to make a decision for myself. So you ask me what I want and who I want to be. I've been told what I want to do forever. Mm. I don't, I need to understand that. So I, I love sending uh, the book love does by Bob Goff. Mm. I, I've sent that to a ton of clients and that really challenges like, Hey, like what's important to you. So yeah, I, I it's, it's a, it's a privilege to just be able to have a spot to speak into those things. Um, so that's awesome. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like you're, you look at your business as a mission field almost. Yeah. It's, it's so much, I, when I first got in this industry, I actually assumed that I would, I, I thought early on that I was going to get my CFA. I would actually manage a hedge fund and I would sit behind a wall of monitors, but I quickly found that is not one bit of one I, what I want to do. Like I love people. I want to, I want to help ultimately what it all comes down to. I want to help families have healthy conversations around their money and then actually use their money for what's important to them. And uh, yeah, there's, again, there's the tools and, 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 investments and those sort of things. But yeah, it's, it's about you. It's about your life. And uh, yeah, because of that, I have this, this, this role of being able to speak into it, which is so, so great. That's awesome. Um, Jim, speak a little bit about, well, let me, let me ask you what you think Christians do. Christians have a responsibility to adopt Bitcoin. Do you view that it's a a unique tool that we have that we must be utilizing? And from an individual Christian perspective, also from a church's perspective, and maybe on a missions perspective. I'm I'm uh, I'm big into missions, and I I see that Bitcoin could really be transformational in missional work. And I'd, I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. Do we have the obligation or responsibility to adopt Bitcoin as Christians? Um, I don't know if I would take it that far. Now, if you see, obviously, as a Christian, you should steward well what you have in your life. So there is that place. And if you feel like uh, if you feel that Bitcoin um, is a way of stewarding your financial assets well, then I would 
I would argue that then yes, you have you have a place of uh, possibly adopting it at in your life. I, um, so the, the reason I was asking that was from a from a fiat perspective, looking at and you know that's a, that's a new term even for me to think about, but you know thinking about the the cycle that fiat gets you on and bitcoin seems to break that it, it's not going to solve the the problems that people have if they spend too much or whatever but bitcoin seems to be able to break this cycle that fiat kind of introduces into a christian's life where they're you know running after things and that's that's kind of probably in the context i was asking that question yeah yeah no i i i can certainly see where you're coming from and how um Bitcoin itself, for many, introduces a change of mindset from uh, short-term gratification to zooming out, changing your time preference, and recognizing that it's about more than right here. So, yeah, and then that in that sense, that aspect of Bitcoin, I think, is very important for Christians to adopt. Like, it's not about today; it's not about the things that are there in front of you, but how will what you're doing today impact uh, your life over the, over your lifetime? How will it impact your, the generations to follow? So I think there are there are uh, themes within Bitcoin that certainly relate to Christianity. Um, you you also asked the role that it can play in the mission field. Uh, my wife and I we're we're relatively involved with a uh, orga- an organization that is in um, Uganda, and we we like to uh, give to them financially. And there's times like they'll they'll reach out and say, "Hey, uh, this just happened. Like we just hit a famine." And coinciding with trying to help with all these kids' schools and our cow just died or whatever. It's just the most outrageous things that we don't have to put up with as Americans. And um, we really need money like ASAP. And then you have to go through to get it to them. Like you have to go through so many hoops to try to wire money over to Uganda. And it can take time. And there's fees and all kinds of things associated with it. Rather than you adopt Bitcoin, hey, we really need this for this purpose. Boom. It's, It's there. Um, so that, yeah, I, I think that plays a, that could play such a neat role of being able to help, uh, large organizations down to individuals across the world in such a, uh, quick and timely manner. Yeah. I, I was on a, uh, interview earlier this week and, you know, I've, I've written this mission Bitcoin manifesto and in it, I lay out the case for, using Bitcoin as kind of an endowment that will grow in value and you could potentially fund a church or a mission, um, uh, a hospital or an orphanage basically forever um, if you put put the right amount of Bitcoin in, into it up front. And also the idea of, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time going around the world. We as Christians have gone around the world building churches, drilling water wells. But, you know, maybe we have an opportunity now to not only drill a a water well, but potentially start Bitcoin mining in Uganda, you know? So um, I I think that the Bitcoin is going to offer a very unique opportunity for us to expand um, our ability to reach those that we've been able to help them physically, but from a wealth perspective, we don't do much for them. And and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I mean, the Lord has said, you know, you can never get rid of the poor, but sometimes I feel like, um, you know, it's one thing to provide for their immediate needs, but if we could provide generational wealth through Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining on the mission field, I think that would just be such a fantastic opportunity. And I I know we hadn't talked about this, but I mean, just kind of listening to that, what are, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts behind something like that? Yeah, I would love it. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's spending time in uh, primarily Africa in different countries and just seeing the need for continual support when, I, I don't know, it's, it's probably so much easier looking from the outside in. Say, well, gosh, like you, you need continual support, but what if we set up a platform that allows you to eventually remove yourself from the need of others by being able to sustain yourself. And that can, you know, initially like in, in, in Uganda, everyone rides motorcycles. You've seen these pictures of people on motorcycles, like mm-hmm. nine of them and then mm-hmm. a fridge and then a goat thrown over the kid's shoulders. That's everywhere. And uh, they call them boda bodas. And I just remember being there. I was like, gosh, like th- people are trying to get boda bodas everywhere. And it's a mess. Like what if there was someone who just came in here and made a, like a good rental company that's trustworthy, but there's so, there's so much lack of trust. Um, it's just opportunities. And yeah, one of those opportunities to help provide not only income, but actually the enablement of self-sustaining through Bitcoin. Uh, that would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really kind of excited about that idea. Uh, Jim, t- tell us just as listeners, if you think about Bitcoin companies, what are your what are your favorite Bitcoin companies that you think are going to provide a, a good return on investment? And also just w- when you're thinking about Bitcoin IRAs, w- which companies out there do you think are doing a good job with um, Bitcoin IRA? Uh, and I think the major issue there is going to be, you know, custody or custodial, uh, self-custody or custodial when it comes to Bitcoin IRAs. What are your thoughts al- along those lines? I love that question. Uh, one, again, this is not investment advice, so don't take it as such. Bitcoin-related companies, um, particularly my portfolio and clients, um, we have exposure to Riot um, as well as Marathon and then Grayscale. Um, obviously, the, Grayscale certainly has its flaws, um, but having a means of exposure, um, I think obviously, the, in my opinion, the, the best way to have exposure to Bitcoin is to have exposure to Bitcoin. But then you have these, that's the primary means of having exposure. Then there's tertiary peripheral means. So there's Bitcoin. Then you have these companies that are pretty much regulated. So like Grayscale, then you move out a little bit further and you have like mining companies. Then you move out a little bit further and you have like Tesla and Square and those sort of companies. So you can have exposure um, in lots of ways. So that's the Riot, Marathon, Grayscale. Those are ways we've achieved that for my clients beyond, I mean, it, with that, gosh, I if, if if a client says we would love to have direct exposure, and some clients are you know in different places with comfort and even uh, liquidity to have exposure in different means. But if someone says, "Hey, we want direct direct exposure," then I would love to. We've talked with them. All right, what's what exchange should you use once you have it? What type of wallet? Um, so having those conversations is, is something we do as well. And do you think that owning Bitcoin related companies helps flatten the volatility of, of direct exposure to Bitcoin? I mean, I know they're going to be direct. There's going to be some correlation between the price of Bitcoin and those companies, but it would seem as if a publicly traded company is going to have less volatility swing than Bitcoin itself. Do you think that's true or not? Uh, not Frank, not in my experience. My wife okay. and I own a whole lot of mining companies and, uh, yeah, there's days that we'll we'll be down a we'll, we'll lose a whole lot of money in one day, um, just because the correlation is pretty strong. I'm really curious to see what's gonna how it's gonna play out with obviously everything that happened with China and the mining opportunities with these uh, companies that were able to stay on network during this time. So uh, I haven't seen a smoothing of volatility. Obviously, by diversifying, you could say you reduce volatility in general. But again, these can be so correlated, and especially as you get closer and closer to the exposure. 
gap. If you know, obviously, if you move out to like Tesla, it's not directly related to Bitcoin per se. There's other things that go into that. So you could argue that yes, that is a way of hedging. Um, and I have I have friends that are financial planners with other firms that they don't they don't have direct exposure, but if someone says they want exposure, they'll they'll throw in Tesla or something like that to get more. So yeah, you, you could argue that that's a way of hedging risk and flattening out ups and downs. And so what's the benefit of having exposure to companies versus just owning the Bitcoin outright? Um, part of that is just comfort level. Okay. Um, also asset location. So <clears throat> if you have, let's say you work for a company and you had a 401k or a 403b and you separated from that company, it just makes sense to move it from a 401k or 403b to an IRA. Uh, you could move it to a self-directed and do all those things. You want to be, you really want to be cognizant of the fees and all of the rules around self-custody. Um, or if you don't want to deal with that, maybe you aren't comfortable with it. You just don't understand it yet. Maybe it's something you'll want to do down the line, but initially you want exposure through something more simplistic than rolling it over to an IRA. And then, you know, if you see asymmetric upside potential on a specific asset class, in my opinion, it's usually going to make sense to put that asset class or that asset specifically into a Roth. You know, if you have something that possibly could go by, I'm just going to throw out a number for fun. Let's say, let's say something can go by 25x and then something else could grow by 4x between now and retirement. Um, you probably want the thing with the greater growth opportunity inside the Roth and the, the lower uh, growth inside the traditional. So asset, asset location strategies as well would, would play a part of it. That's great. Great advice. And so on the Bitcoin IRA front, who do you think is doing it well? And if you could recommend kind of a, a Bitcoin IRA self-custody platform, who, who do you think is doing that the best? <laughs> I, uh, I'm actually, uh, after this, am uh, calling and interviewing three more companies to get a better answer there. Um, I'm very skeptical on... I'm very skeptical about self-directed IRA companies um, just because my my experience historically, and gosh, there, there's a lot of really uh, shady financial people who call themselves financial advisors as well. So I'm not throwing them under the bus. There's, there's shady people in all kinds of industries. But I found a lot of self-directed companies do not disclose a lot of the implications of holding an asset in a self-directed IRA. So part of making sure I do my due diligence is getting on the phone or even going to a physical location and talking them through, talking through with them, uh, fees, ease of management, uh, the ability, like what exchanges can we use the ability to, uh, what, what custody, uh, manners that you allow, um, all those things. It is, it is interesting as well. Like, uh, historically self-directed IRAs and my conversations has, has, has been around, uh, real estate. And again, this is a reason that I, I personally, have probably possibly trust issues with self-directed companies is because a lot of times I'll talk to a prospect or a client that says, I, uh, I'm, I'm considering and I've had a conversation because I heard someone on a podcast say I should roll all my money into an IRA and buy houses through that. Mm. And despite having conversations with them, there was lack of disclosure around the fact that if you own a rental property inside of a self-directed IRA, you can't go there and stay in it. You can't go there and change a light bulb. Um, and that, that's something that's, uh, from what I've seen, again, that, that's not talked about too often, even inside these, these the people who sell these products. So um, yeah, I, I want to vet. I know I'm sure there's great companies out there doing great work. And I, I intend on actually having a good answer around that by the end of the week. Okay. So, so it seems like the jury's still out on that for you. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. Um, the um, 
Jim, as we kind of close out, I mean, are, are there any other things that you think are important to communicate specifically to listeners who are um, Bitcoiners and, you know, how your services might be used? And yeah, so just kind of give us the final sales pitch. Yeah, I, again, going back to the very, very beginning is uh, financial advisors tend to, tend to have a target on their back on Bitcoin Twitter. Which honestly, it makes a lot of sense. I there's a lot of people out there in this industry who call themselves financial advisors, who frankly are salesmen who just happens to sell a financial product. And if all you have is a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail to you. So it makes sense. I understand where you're coming from, uh, and I'm sure you've, you uh, listeners have got beat up time after time through financial advisors telling you that Bitcoin's trash and you should never own it. Um, and- but I would encourage. Uh, at least exploring what financial planning could actually, what role that maybe could play in your life, um, be it including or not including investment management, um, but the totality of your financial life. Um, you know, gosh, like you and your, if you're married, like what are you and your spouse actually in line together on what is important about money in your life? Or you personally, like, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? And have you been adequately able to, establish goals and take, uh, uh, make decisions and then take proper actions, uh, to actually achieve those things. So it's, again, it's, I'm relatively agnostic about the, the product, but rather like, gosh, how can we best serve you? So that's, 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 that's really what, well, at least what I do. That's fantastic. And I, I think probably the thing that we talked about before we started recording too, is, you know, the, the number of financial planners at actually recommend Bitcoin is probably less than 3%. So, I mean, you're, you're really kind of in a group of uh, people that um, you, uh, you know, they don't represent Bitcoin very well. So that's probably why they have their target on a target on their back. But um, this has been a great discussion. I've learned some things and hopefully our listeners will as well and reach out to you for any questions. And I'll, I'll leave Jim's contact information, his website in the show notes. So if you guys have any questions, reach out to Jim directly. And I really appreciate your time. This was a a fantastic uh, interview. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace. A little more about our Satoshi Millionaire game. The plan is to have a series of questions spread over a number of shows. At the conclusion of the series of questions, there will be an opportunity to DM the Twitter handle at Mission21M with the answers. The first person to DM with the correct answers will be the recipient of the 1 million Satoshis. The only way to receive them is via a Lightning Wallet, so make sure you have one that is set up. I hope you have fun playing. Thanks. Thanks.